Hey there, welcome to Just Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This weekend is all about the new Space Jam movie in theaters and on HBO Max. And maybe uh, it's also about the third and final entry of the Fear Street franchise over at Netflix, if horror is more your speed. But we make sure to toss out a few other gems worth digging into as well. Keeping with the sports vibe, we rounded up some of the best examples of athletes on the silver screen. And finally, we'll get into some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies we talk about in the show notes, along with contact info if you want to sound off in our inbox or Twitter DMs. Let us know what you think in the review section of the show, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. We've got Bruce Miller out in Sioux City, Iowa, and we got Jared McNett out in Mason City. Bringing all the wisdom that comes with now being 31. 31. 31. I can hardly wait till I turn 31. <laughs> one day, Bruce, one day. Yeah, Someday. One day. Dare to dream. Um, yeah. And you're Chris Lay. And I am Chris Lay. I'm in yes. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Preview in movies that are coming out and then we're going to talk about athletes in movies and then uh then we're going to throw out some some movie news that's the uh that's on the docket for today so what have you guys seen lately that that really pops for you uh so uh, befitting something that i talked about a little bit last week and is uh out now uh Kind of related. Uh, Pig is out this week, and um, I'm headed out of town uh, later on today, and uh, tomorrow I'm hoping to see that. I'm very excited. But this past weekend, I actually watched a, a different Nicolas Cage movie that also came out uh, this year, uh, earlier this year, and that's uh, Willy's Wonderland, uh, which is basically, if anyone knows the game Five Nights at Freddy's, it's basically Nick Cage taking on uh, a bunch of possessed by serial killers uh, animatronics at like a Chuck E. Cheese type restaurant. It was okay. Like it didn't, it wasn't as zany as I was kind of hoping it was based on that premise and everything. Although there's still some good stuff with like uh, Nick Cage playing pinball multiple times throughout the movie. I like weirdly enjoyed watching him play pinball and also shotgunning these drinks called punch pop, which I'm assuming is just like a rip off of like, bang energy or monster energy or something like that but he like guzzles those babies throughout the movie when he's in between uh killing off different uh serial killer animatronics sounds like it's kind of like uh like in video games when you would you know get you know pop a top on some kind of like life elixir whatever mm -hmm. it'll refresh your health it definitely had a little bit of that uh, feel to it. I just wish, like I said, it was a little bit zanier and maybe just a little bit more manic than it was. Sure. It, it was a little bit too serious about it in parts. Nobody Bruce? gets now like the Cone Brothers did. When he was in Raising Arizona, that was good. It's, yeah. it's, it's so frustrating because like, and I, I have seen really good reviews for, for Pig though, and I'm excited to see that. But it is kind of funny that like a lot of the best performances that he's had in his career are with directors he's then never worked with again. I don't know if I've talked about that here before or not, but like he worked with Coen Brothers once and that's one of his best performances. He worked with like Scorsese once for Bringing Out the Dead. That's one of his best performances and he didn't work with him ever again. He Maybe he'll work with the guy he did Mandy with again. We haven't seen that yet because that guy hasn't done another movie in the meantime, but more than a few of his best performances with directors are people he just didn't link up with again. So maybe we're getting robbed of a few more great uh, Nick Cage performances. Maybe he's trouble, you know, where he's hard to work with or he, he resists. What was the movie that he did where he, he had his teeth pulled? Oh, man. Birdie. Birdie. Yeah, he had a tooth pulled for Birdie. Huh. What about you, Bruce? Seen anything good lately? I, well, I did. I saw uh, a film that's actually at the Cannes Film Festival right now, Stillwater, hmm. with Matt Damon, and he plays a, uh, a a laborer, for lack of a better term, 
whose daughter has been imprisoned in France. And um, he goes over there to see her because he has, she has visitation times. And she gives him a letter and she says that there's somebody who can help clear, clear her if they can only get to her. Well, he's supposed to talk to her attorney and the attorney says, there's no way we're not doing this. So he decides to try and put the clues together to find um, this person who could clear his daughter. In the meanwhile, he starts living in, in France, meets other people there, kind of becomes a different person. And um, it's fascinating. It looks like it's gonna head toward a Liam Neeson kind of thing, and it doesn't get there. But um, Matt Damon's good. He, has, he uses his Tommy Lee Jones voice. So when you hear him talk, you go, that's Tommy Lee Jones he's doing. And um, um, Abigail Breslin from Little Miss Sunshine plays his daughter, and she's fairly good, but there's a couple of French actresses who are really good, really good. And it brings out this kind of, you know how um, living a, a kind of a sheltered life in the, in the United States and how he sees a different world that maybe he didn't realize um, and how he has an impact on them as well. That's coming out at the end of the month for the rest of us. It'll be July 30th in theaters. But um, it isn't in competition, but it is, I think it's a good film. Yeah, and I was looking it up while you were uh, talking, Bruce, just because I was curious, and it's the same guy, Tom McCarthy, that did uh, Spotlight and also uh, The Visitor with Richard Jenkins and then also really good uh, wrestling movie from 2011 called Win Win that has uh, Paul Giamatti in it. I really like that movie a lot. Uh, so, yeah, Tom McCarthy's done pretty good work in the past. Hmm. Yeah, it's a different, a different flavor for Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. um, it's not showy, but it is kind of fun to see him in a different light. Yeah, because he's one of those ones that can go into autopilot pretty easily if he wants to, and it'll still be like an okay movie because people just like Matt Damon. Yeah. So it's good to see him doing something a little different. How about you, Chris? What have you seen? There's a movie that would have made my, my top films of the year so far list if I'd seen it. Uh, just came out relatively recently at some film festivals and just hit HBO Max like a week ago, I think. And it's called Shiva Baby by Emma Seligman. It's based on a, like a short film that she did. And it is... Bruce, you'll love it. It is it is a high and tight little movie. It uh, it's not even eighty minutes long. Good. Yep. And it is a intense little pressure cooker of a <clears throat> film with all of these little uh, cutbacks and these reveals and just the the way that the the characters interact and the way that the mystery is not even mystery, I guess, per se, that the, the tensions just kind of ramp up. It's, it's hard to talk about, um, but the, the, whole, the vast majority of it takes place at a, a shiva. It is a, a very, very Jewish film. The, the poster for it is the main actress, uh, Rachel Senat, with a, a dress made out of cream cheese and bagels decorating it. Um, so, yeah, but that is, it's, it's, on, um, it's on HBO, and it is really fantastic. So, okay. Yeah. Good. One, de definitely one of the one of the better scripts I think I've seen in in a long time. The way that it, uh, yeah, it just cuts back on itself and builds builds the tension. I mean, it just it tightens tightens up as it goes along in a really nice way. Cy Abelman from a uh, serious man himself is in this movie. It looks like. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. So so yeah so that's that how about for for new releases i mean it's space jam it's yeah. all space jam another one that is hitting hbo max as of right now i haven't seen it yet uh bruce did you get a screener for it no and that that is always a bad sign because if you don't get to see it in advance that says they aren't that confident in it and um i think it's just kind of more of the same the odd thing is is they've thrown in characters that why are they in this Game of Thrones characters, Clockwork Orange characters. Really, is this is this what we should be putting out there? Just going to, just going through the IP library. That's what it is. It's like who haven't we used in? Yeah, yeah. Clockwork so Orange I'm is such sure a, uh, a cultural touchstone that you know nine and ten year olds are really going to appreciate. 
or even like in one of the trailers that everyone's made fun of, like Porky Pig is rapping to like uh, is like the notorious P.I.G. Like that's a twenty plus year old like reference at this point. Like I I doubt most kids like I know my nephews wouldn't know who Biggie Smalls is or the notorious B.I.G. Uh, like. I don't understand who the jokes are for. I guess for a bunch of nostalgia people that are going to watch it that are closer to like my age, but yeah. The age of, of the people who formed memories of, of the, the first Space Jam when it came out. I mean, these are people that are, you know, well into their 30s, if not, you know, early 40s at this point. So the, the target audience for this film is definitely skewed. Parents. It's yeah. parents who saw it when they were kids. And they yeah. said, come on now, I like this when I was a kid, you're gonna come too, we're gonna go see that movie. Mm. And the kids go, mm, I'm not so sure. The interesting thing is that LeBron in the film has a kid who doesn't wanna have anything to do with basketball. So that's, um, okay, I get it. And then Don Cheadle, is it Don Cheadle? Who is the, the bad guy? Algae Rhythm? Yeah, okay. And now, Don Cheadle, go and get it. Good for, I was going to say, good for Don Cheadle, I guess. Um, the, uh, not only has, like, the movie gotten pretty uh, savage, because I think it's in, like, the 30s right now on Metacritic, the soundtrack has, too. Like, yesterday, Pitchfork had a review of the soundtrack, and the soundtrack got, like, a 2.3 out of 10, which also, pretty brutal. So, uh, all across the board, it seems like people are lining up to take shots at this. Yeah. To add a little context, I don't know if the soundtrack is really in the the wheelhouse of things that Pitchfork is really geared to yeah. <laughs> to cover appropriately. But yeah, that said, I also am fairly certain that they uh, aren't too far off in in this specific instance. Yeah, you can see how these come about. You know, somebody looks through their library and says, "What can we do? What haven't we done for a while?" Um, mm-hmm. Hey, we could do a Space Jam. Well. Uh, Let's go to the Lakers game. See who's there. Is there somebody there we could use? Somebody good? Okay, let's get him. Eh, you know. And the thing that uh, somebody kind of, a couple, more than a few people actually, I saw mentioned on Twitter in particular, was like, if this does like bomb by whatever metric, like the studio takes that to mean, like they're just going to make the excuse of like, oh, they might take the wrong lesson and just be like, oh, people just don't want to see Looney Tunes stuff anymore, and then they won't do another Looney Tunes thing in, for, like, 15 or 20 years. I, I don't – I mean, I understand what you're saying, but mm-hmm. th- th- there's there's no no way this bombs. There just isn't. Yeah. It's – yeah, it's too globally attractive and – Well, and the first one, I mean, wasn't out-of-the-box hit. You know, because Warner Brothers was just starting up its animation department with that. So it's, you know, you're going up against Disney and Disney is the behemoth. Now they all have some arm that's animation. So I think if they, if it is a bomb, they'll pass it off to it's a streaming thing or it's the COVID situation. And, you know, we all have mask mandates now in California. So they, they can't lose with this. And all you do is put out a lot of the toys and they're going to sell no matter what. Of course. Yeah, and again, too, and I feel like a broken record with this because I think I've mentioned it several times before, but like, yeah, no movies, even if they do bomb, bomb in like interesting or really funny ways anymore. It's like just the same kind of ways over and over again because like these movies have so much invested in them now and are so workshopped and focus grouped and everything else that like they're, you're not going to get the super weird or bizarre bombs and flops anymore. It's, it's just going to be like, well, yeah. It's not like the days of Joan Crawford where they go to her, Joan, your box office poison. They're not going right. to LeBron James. They're going to say, well, let's do something else. We're not, we're not going to get stuff like Waterworld type bombs anymore. No, or yeah. Heaven's Gate. Yeah. yeah. But you know, LeBron did all right when he was in the Amy Schumer film. Mm-hmm. He was okay. Frame he didn't fit. Yes. And you'd say, he could have a career. He could do it. He isn't as kind of wooden as some of those ones. I think Kareem always looks wooden when he's in a film. Um, Even Airplane? Yeah, but that, you know, that's like when they make fun of him, every athlete is good. Right. Dumb, they are a hit. 
if you remember, I don't know if you ever saw the Joe uh, Montana Saturday Night Live episode. It is oh. classic. It is classic. Find it because he plays a dumb guy throughout the whole thing. Now I'm going to have to seek out uh, Joe Montana Saturday Night Live sketch. Joe Montana Saturday Night Live. He hosted it. And um, very funny. Very funny. There's a, I wish I don't want to spill it because it's just, but there's an interior monologue one that it becomes an exterior monologue. And it's just really, really mm -hmm. cool. But I think that's the trick is that they want to make uh, athletes stupid. Mm -hmm. And so it's an easy get. And uh, that's where they tend to go with them. They don't give them the parts they deserve. I'm at, I'm at a loss for transitions here. So I guess we can just jump into the other franchise extension maybe, which is uh, Fear Street Part 3, 1666, which just uh, hit Netflix today. Is it still holding up? I think this one, 1666, is probably the best of the, of the trilogy, just in the fact that it has the creepiest stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know, it feels like a, kind of like a, like if, if Witch was for teenagers. Mm. It's a solid wrap up to the, uh, the three movies uh, in the series. So, yeah. So you, you don't think this would have worked as well if they tried to make it into like an anthology show versus the uh, no. film franchise like they did? No. I mean, it's, I mean, you end up with something that is a grand total of six hours mm -hmm. and could have been structured into an anthology TV show pretty easily, I think. But the requirements for those things is that they, they tend to be a lot longer. I'm thinking of all the American Horror Story uh, framings and those just get so bloated so fast. And this one has the, the feel of those, but without all the fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A, a lot of those anthology shows like that always feel like they could have lost an episode or two mm -hmm. and they would have been just fine. For um, sure. Well, uh, another horror thing that's out this week, or I guess it's sort of horror or maybe even a thriller that uh, I, I don't think I'm going to see, but other people maybe can if they're a fan of uh, escape rooms because there's a, a second oh. escape room movie uh, called Tournament of Champions. Uh, the first escape room came out a couple years ago. I don't even remember when. I think maybe 2019 or 2018. Um, and basically, it's the same premise as that one where these like, they're not teens, but these like young adults basically have to navigate through some like absurd escape room uh, type stuff. If you've ever been to an escape room, you know what that's all about. Um, the reason neither one of these have interested me like at all, because I didn't see the first one either, is it just seems like a less edgy and less intense version of Saul. And like, I'd rather just go see Saul at that point than like watch a watered down version of, of Saul. <laughs> these people that put themselves in these situations, they're so stupid. Yep. You're describing all of the, the horror movies, basically. So. It's stupid. And then, of course, you know, they walk in the basement. Don't go in. I don't go in my basement when I'm alone. I think it's really ridiculous because that thing is scary. I'm not going down there, okay? Although, although Bruce, you've told this before. You basically are starting to have a fear of every home in, or room in your house. That's true. It's true. I'm limited now. This is due to the COVID pandemic. I've now been limited to the room with the TV where I'm close by with a phone and I can call anybody if they're flicking the lights on in my house and mm -hmm. uh, bite back. I also know where the knives are in the house. So I'm sure should, should be pretty uh, safe in that respect. And I've, you know, I've set up the house so that you could stumble over everything if you were breaking in because I'm just too lazy to put the vacuum cleaner away. So it's right in the middle of the room. That's how you thwart those people. You know, I, I've watched enough of these films that I just know what you need to do. It's it's a lazy man's version of the Home Alone. You're just gonna like it is so that burglars. Yeah. yeah, it is that. I'm not gonna set up a Rube Goldberg kind of device that's going to scare Daniel Stern away. But um, just put the vacuum cleaner out in the middle of the room. You're fine. There you go. Yeah, the last one we can probably touch on is Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a new, yeah. very poorly titled. <laughs> Um, action film 
on Netflix that came out a couple of days ago. So it's possible that people have already seen it. Um, but I watched it and it has a very interesting approach to blending kind of John Wick style action with the kind of candy colored uh, girl power sort of kick-ass stuff. It, it does a lot of the world building that John Wick does where you have this kind of, uh, you know, crazy hitman parallel reality that's existing while all of us go through our normal day-to-day. Um, and yeah, it was a-okay. You know, tonight also starts uh, Schmigadoon. If you haven't seen Schmigadoon, the parody of musicals, and I think it's good. If you add it up, it's only about a half hour each episode. It's about a three hour. So it's like the length of a, of a Broadway musical. And the fun part is like picking out what, what musical are they lampooning now? You'll get Oklahoma, you get Music Man. It's all from that kind of era. And um, some fun performances. Um, Keegan-Michael Key and Cicely Strong um, are the uh, stars of it. I'm rooting for her. I feel like Cecily Strong should be a bigger star outside of SNL than she is. I wish she'd stay though, because I think she's just as talented as some of the other ones that they go to all the time. She has great characters that I'd like to see more of, but. Janine Pirro being obviously the, the top of that pile. Yes, very, very well. And that's why it seemed like she was leaving when you saw that at the end and she kind of had this, this big moment. Mm -hmm. made me think, oh, oh, she's leaving. But we'll see. It depends on how well this thing does. If this thing does well, she produced it too. It could be a big thing for her. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, Gunpowder Milkshake on Netflix and a uh, bunch of other odds and ends, uh, as well as Space Jam, which everyone I'm sure will see, whether they are really excited about it or not. That's just the way it goes these days. Speaking of athletes. Seamless transition. <laughs> In honor of uh, Space Jam, we're going to be talking about movies with athletes turned actor and highlighting a handful of the, the best examples of that. Go for it. My pick, Kevin Garnett in Uncut Gems. Anybody who's seen Uncut Gems, you know that it, the whole film revolves around a, a specific real-life basketball game that happened and featured Kevin Garnett. So for them to base it around that, uh, they had to expect that Kevin Garnett was going to be in the film playing himself, and he had to be a good actor. And he absolutely crushes it as the, uh, yeah, the basketball player Kevin Garnett in Uncut Gems. He's playing himself, obviously, but a amped-up version of himself doing stuff that didn't actually happen. Uh, and yeah, he, I don't want to say he steals the film because it's kind of an impossible movie to steal. Yeah. Um, from, from Adam Sandler. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, he is an absolute highlight and because so much of the plot revolved around his existence in this world, there was a lot of pressure on him to exceed expectations and, and he absolutely, went even above and beyond. So Kevin Garnett, I think, is is my call on that one. Earlier on, when they were trying to figure out like some of the casting for it, one of the people that was like considered and they were the Safties were really trying to get was actually Kobe. And I it would just be so tough to imagine uh, Kobe doing the same stuff that Garnett does in this because they have they have very different like uh, temperaments. So Kobe like bouncing off of Adam Sandler in that movie would have just felt different and very weird, I think. Absolutely. I think it's a, a closer depiction of what they're probably really like. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to glorify all these athletes and make them seem like they're much, much different. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see this, yeah, kid in a candy shop thing with him trying to get these, you know, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. I thought it was a good look at an ath- a professional athlete that isn't tainted by what a PR person has put out there about him. Yeah. I, I thought he was real good at kind of playing that seedier side of, of that business. Well, it, it works for, it works for someone like Kevin Garnett anyway, because he's pretty well known for like some pretty 
pretty absurd like trash talking over the years like some stuff that's definitely crossed the line with like people he's played against so that's why it kind of fits too i think yeah. would you ever imagine though that they would go to like some hole in the wall place that adam sandler has and you go really he's going there that maybe is the only thing that pushes or that like seems a little bit outside the realm of the possible but even still i could maybe see that happening just because no one would be hassling them in there probably because they wouldn't even know where to find the place. <laughs> well, I just, my thinking is, wouldn't somebody come to him? You know, mm-hmm. if I times I'd go to his house. Yeah. And go up there. And I mean, it's just, that was just my little hang up, but I like the idea that he played kind of rough and tough. With it. And of course uh, there's news uh, yesterday, I guess that uh, uncut gems is going to be the first uh, 824 movie to get the criterion collection treatment uh, later this fall. So very cool to see uh, Adam Sand- an Adam Sandler-related movie uh, getting the Criterion treatment. It's the, the next best thing he'll get to an Oscar nomination, which, again, yep. completely robbed of. Yes. How about you, Bruce? Do you remember the movie Personal Best? Did you ever see Personal Best? Mm-mm. It was with Mariel Hemingway, mm-hmm. and she played this track star. And there was a woman with her in it, and she was a real track star. And she was very, very good. I believed her in a minute, and that she would make the transition to do this. And she really didn't do other things after that. Her name is Patrice Donnelly, and she was extremely good. And I think we're not looking a lot of times beyond the, the marquee names for potential actors, because there is a bit of acting in athletics. As we get into the... Um, Olympics now, you'll see Shikari um, Robinson. Is it Robinson? Was that her name? Mm-hmm. In the 100 meter? Shikari Richardson. She would have been a great, and she may still be, a great um, film star because she just pops on screen. And I think a lot of times we don't look at track and field. We don't look at swimming. We don't look at gymnastics. And if they do, they try to put them in that mode that that's who they're going to play. You're going to play a gymnast. But I think some of these ones can... They know the, the pressure of being on a stage and they know that they're performing in a way. And I think many of them could be great actors. I don't know that we're waiting for the Michael Phelps film, but um, you know, there are some there that you think, yeah, that one's a little showboat. I think that one could really work, but nobody even offers them that opportunity. She was, Patrice Donnelly was my choice for athlete turning into actor. And the film is great. It even holds up now when you look at it and you think, you know, that must be what track and field is like. I'm, uh, I'm now just imagining like some like action movie director hanging out at like uh, gymnastics meets just to scout like future like stunt people for, for their movies. <laughs> well, the problem with them is they're also little. Yeah. You know? It'd be, it'd be a little hard to do, uh, have a good stunt double then in that case. So maybe you just make him the star of the next action movie. Okay, next one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, because I've mentioned the movie on the show before, and uh, John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in uh, They Live uh, is fantastic as the uh, lead guy who doesn't have a name, actually. He's just like a homeless uh, drifter um, in Los Angeles. And uh, eventually he finds out that basically uh, aliens um, have already landed on Earth and are basically behind pretty much all the bad stuff, but you can't uh, see them unless you wear these like special uh, sunglasses that uh, reveals the actual aliens, which seems like a little bit of a a bad loophole for the aliens if you can just get a pair of uh, special shades and uh, get onto their uh, shenanigans. But um, he's great in it. He's really funny. Um, Wrestlers are definitely another like realm of like athletics to mind for uh, actors. I mean, obviously the rock immediately comes to mind and like John Cena as well. And um, oh man, uh, Batista, Dave Batista being another one. Cause they just have a, have to have as part of like wrestling a natural kind of charm and charisma to them. If they're going to be any good and fans are going to care about them. And uh, that's definitely true of Roddy Piper too. And he's really uh, charming and also kind of menacing and uh, they live and, uh, I mean, it pays off the most in that uh, back alley brawl that he has with uh, Keith David, which is still probably one of the best fight scenes in any movie ever. So that's my, uh, that's my main pick is uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and They Live. 
My, uh, my, the only other one I was uh, thinking about, just because I really enjoy the movie, even though it's really not that great, but there's just some funny stuff in it, is uh, Kicking and Screaming, where uh, Mike Ditka shows up as a rival youth soccer coach. Uh, it's got Will Ferrell in it. Uh, so if you want to watch a Will Ferrell movie you maybe haven't seen, Kicking and Screaming is actually a pretty fun one. And you get uh, Mike Ditka showing up in that one. So Again, another Saturday Night Live one you might want to check out. So we got movie news. What have we got across the Across the transom? Yeah, across the transom. The one I had that a lot of people were clowning on uh, this week was an article, an op-ed in uh, Variety called uh, Quentin Tarantino should uh, celebrate all cinema going from art houses to multiplexes. And it was basically someone uh, complaining uh, about a podcast appearance he did on uh, Dax Shepard's podcast, which I did not know Dax Shepard has a podcast where Tarantino was kind of um, like, complaining about multiplexes and stuff like that. And of course, uh, Tarantino has put money into a number of different uh, like boutique cinemas, like art house cinemas in LA and stuff like that to keep those open. It just seems really like kind of pathetic and toothless for like any big media publications to be lamenting about like, oh, who won't someone think of the multiplexes in the, in the future? Because like even, you know, in a, because it seems like they're doing it a little bit to get to some kind of like folksiness or middle America kind of thing. But like, I live in a town that has a multiplex and it's great. The thing I wish we had was also like an art house kind of thing. We're not hurting for a multiplex around here. We're hurting for the kind of thing that people like Tarantino are putting money into, you know what I mean? So like complaining that, you know, we need to protect our multiplexes. I don't know. That feels a little ridiculous. Whenever there's something that, you know, seems like, Hmm, there's a, a league of people who just want to come out and, and be the, no, I can't even, you know, <laughs> this, this kind of let's get hits on Twitter because I've come out against something or force. It's whatever. I'm, I'm for multiplexes. Yeah. I, I personally, I like the idea that I could go to three movies at one time if I really wanted. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And there, that was a, an economic move for them to be able to do, you know, if one movie is a bomb, then yeah. another one could shore it up and you could move around very quickly the screens. Whereas if in the old days where you had standalone cinemas, if that movie was no good, it was empty. You didn't, you didn't yep. get, they didn't suddenly pull it and throw something else in. So, well, and then the thing now too, though, with like multiplexes is that like, you know, the, the one I'll go to here in Mason City, um, God love them, I go there all the time, but because of like the way some of these companies work, especially like Disney, there are some weeks there's nothing for me to see because Disney movies are taking up like, you know, five or six of the screens. So like even, even having like these like hallowed multiplexes around like the person in the Variety article was talking about, like, isn't necessarily always that helpful if a multiplex is your only option. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of the things that they're talking about, I mean, look, in, in Los Angeles, there are certain ones of those theaters that are iconic. The mm-hmm. Cinerama Dome, for example, that's one that should be around. It needs to be part around because it's part of history. Um, El Capitan, the Disney one that they redid and give you a little show before you get a movie. Those are all kind of event-oriented. Grauman's Chinese Theater, another one that you would definitely want to preserve because they represent the history. But when they start going after, oh, we've got my arc light. I can't believe the arc light is closing. Well, it's just another one. All they do is have different concessions, you know? So they got a Starbucks or they have, you know, something different that makes it seem whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. But um, we, for us, a multiplex is a godsend because it Mm. gives us access to more films than we ever would have had before. Sure. And I'm not really, I mean, obviously the, the pandemic put a lot of movie theaters on the defensive financially, but I'm pretty optimistic they're going to still be around going forward. It's going to be these smaller indie films yep. that need to find a place to land. And it seems like increasingly they're just going to go towards streaming more than 
ending up in a theater. And so we need those art house theaters. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about it. And it also, I mean, I totally get all of, all of your points, uh, Jared. But I mean, yeah, this article is one of those things where it just seems like it's designed to, to piss people off. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, gin up this, you know, manufactured controversy, um, which is, you know, its own, we, we can wander down that, you know, larger media ecosystem criticism uh, <laughs> another day. Yep. But yeah. TV, TV didn't kill the movies. Remember when that was a big thing? It's like, oh, well, not, nobody will go to the movies. They still stayed. And streaming <clears throat> now is not killing the movies either. Because there comes a point when you got to get out of the house. You do not yeah. want to sit around and just watch everything on a screen. I think that's why I couldn't be an astronaut. I couldn't just sit there and stare at the screen all day long and assume this is my world. That's the, uh, that's the only reason. It's the only reason you couldn't be an astronaut. No, I, I don't want to go in space. I have no desire to go in space. I've seen too many movies. But, um, but it, it's not going to do it. It'll change the way they exhibit films. Maybe, maybe there'll be different things. It might take a different turn. You might have different things involved with it. Um, and we've talked before about how they have you know, theaters where it shakes you when it's uh, particularly violent, like Fast and Furious. You would, they would move the seats like you were going around the curves and things. Um, maybe that'll happen. It'll be like a theme park ride in your town. But the idea that you're going to get rid of this concept is, is just bogus. And frankly, what's going to happen is streaming services are going to run out of wanting to spend money on content and they'll just start recycling their content. Netflix had to build up a war chest because they had none. But you see really these last few months, we've been seeing kind of thin participation by Netflix on new product. You go, wait a minute here. Aren't you guys running like three new films a week? And aren't you doing a new series every other day, it seems? And they aren't doing that. So they're just building up their war chest. And once they get it, they'll be recycling just like everybody else. And they'll be able to do their own version of Space Jam that has like Stranger Things and uh, uh, House of Cards and uh, Lily Hammer. They can right. go back to all, all the way to the beginning of Netflix stuff. And those other channels, they all have libraries that they're just pulling from and throwing that content on there. So that's how they're doing it. But I, you know, Hollywood is cheap and they're not going to spend a lot of money on stuff that they don't have to. And I think they're getting people now at a very reduced rate because everybody, everybody seems to be able to make content and it doesn't seem like there's a shortage of it, but I'm sure they're not being paid a fortune to do it. My little bit of news is uh, Janeska Bravo, the director of Zola, which I had at the top of my best movies of the year so far list. Uh, last except week. for the one that you didn't include. Except for the one that I didn't include because I hadn't seen it yet. Right. Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby might actually be the best thing that I've seen that came out this year. But up until I saw that, Zola was, was number Zola one. Zola just went down. But only, only by a hair. Only by a hair. It's very close. Uh, Janeska Bravo is the director of Zola adapting that. Uh, and she was just uh, tapped as the, the director for Kindred on FX. Kindred's based on a uh, Octavia E. Butler sci-fi novel. And that is really fantastic. I think it definitely ties into the larger, I don't want to say critical race theory, uh, you know, discussion, but it fits within the Underground Railroad and even something like Watchmen, which was very right on that nerve center of you know, the slavery in America. And uh, yeah, it's actually going to be uh, Brandon Jenkins, uh, who worked on Watchmen, is going to be adapting the, the novel into the film uh, or into the, uh, the series. So I know that we're, this is a movie podcast, but that is an exciting thing. And if it's anything like Watchmen or Underground Railroad, it will certainly have a tremendous amount of cinematic value to it. So I think it's worth throwing out there. So yeah, congrats to Janeska Bravo and uh, looking forward to seeing more and more from her. And all I've got is that there's a new Star Trek coming. Is it but a Tarantino not, one? 
But it's not a Tarantino Star Trek, no. That's a shame. No. Uh, one of the people behind WandaVision is directing. And Chris Pine will be back. So I'm assuming the other ones will be too. Interesting. But I st we still want the, the Tarantino one. See what he does with it. Yeah. And you know he'll have like Samuel L. Jackson in it. And oh, of course. You know, he'll have kind of his state. Uh, Brad Pitt could be in it too. Michael Madsen's got to be in there somewhere. We'll get to Tim Roth in space. So you're excited for that, Bruce? I am. And you know, the idea too that Samuel L. Jackson is getting an honorary Oscar, is that too soon? I did not know about this actually. Oh, you didn't know that? Danny Glover's <clears throat> getting one. Samuel L. Jackson's getting one. There are several, it's quite a few this year. Um, but I thought, I think it's a little too soon because I want him to win one. I really thought he should have won for Django Unchained, but you know. Yeah, it, I mean, what, Samuel Jackson's in his 70s? Yeah, but look, Donald Sutherland, yeah. is he what, 90? Yeah. Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he's still going to do plenty of movies. It's weird yeah. to be given, yeah, one at this point. What is, I mean, I'm I glad he's getting something, but I don't think it's time. I know he was nominated mm -hmm. for Pulp Fiction. Well, he's been supporting actor. largely ignored. And I think it's because he has so much product. It's kind of like when Elliot Gould Elliot Gould had a couple of years there where every movie starred Elliot Gould. And then they started looking at him as just kind of filler. And he, ne he never got the due he was deserved either. Mm. So maybe this is a way of making sure that one of the good ones doesn't slip by. Another yeah. early SNL host, Elliot Gould. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, I was going to say Samuel L. Jackson's only Oscar nomination was for Pulp Fiction, uh, but then he got Golden Globe nominations, none of which he won for Pulp Fiction, uh, A Time to Kill, which is just a bonkers uh, court drama, and uh, Jackie Brown. So pretty, pretty threadbare for nominations. Yeah. He doesn't seem that interested in branching out past the like the marvel nick fury uh you know he was the bad guy in the the kingsman movie a few years ago mm -hmm. um i don't know he seems like i'm trying to think of when was the last you know indie movie that he was in um what was the uh the one he did with christina ricci are you talking about uh uh black snake moan yeah, Black Snake Moan. Like, that's a good. The, that was a while ago. Other than like Tarantino, like it, you know, which I don't even necessarily. I wouldn't consider Tarantino's stuff to be indie. Not that it's not demanding. Not that even Nick Fury isn't a demanding character to, mm -hmm. to keep rolling. But it's also, I mean, that that version of Nick Fury comes from the Ultimate uh, Universe from the Marvel comics, which that character was based on him before it was, you know, moved into the movies. So he's basically playing himself in those. Uh, yeah. Yep. I, yeah. I don't know. He I has, mean, I feel he like has a solid though list and he deserves something like this. I just think it's a little soon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if only, you know, need to give him an honorary Oscar just for, you know, hold on to your butts line reading from Jurassic Park, but. For snakes on a plane, what do you mean? Right. Oscar's on a shelf. <laughs> That's what he's trying to get. That's what he's, he's trying, trying to get. To... Yeah, Oscar's on a shelf in but you know, Jackson's office. Here's another example of that though, is Spike Lee never won, and then they gave him an honorary Oscar and then he won the next year, so. Yep. Maybe that's what happens with this. Yeah. Well, Jackson, he's, he's just got to, I mean, I can't think of anything in the past, you know, 10 years that he's done that outside of Django, but that was even, Django was 10 years ago, wasn't it? 2012. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Um, and he, I mean, he was great in uh, Fantastic and Hateful Eight also, but that's not the kind of thing that's going to get him nominated. No. Not at this no. point. Anyway, I'm happy for him. He certainly deserves it as a career uh, capper, but he's still got so much left to, to give. Oh yeah, it's it's and it's in, it's so funny to think about the fact that because of how many movies he's been in and how many franchises he's been in, that like he's like 
the highest grossing actor of all time just because of how many different franchises he's been in that have made just buku bucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's doing okay, and this is a much deserved. Yeah, just got to get him in but, like a Harry Potter spinoff, and uh, you know that'll be. Yeah. But look look at how Glenn Close. She has the most nominations without winning. Nothing. So why don't they give her one? I mean, she'll get one. Like yeah, but even if it's a... be? I don't want to be like wheeled in and then they hand it to me and I can't hold it because it's too heavy. Yeah. I mean, she's to the point now where that's a like you've got an entire industry where it's like we we want to give you this and yet we can't, <laughs> whatever reason, there's every single time that she has something that people want to give her one for, there's something that's obviously a little bit better or the Oscar bait that she did just ended up being a absolute Turkey, like yeah. hillbilly Glenn, elegy now, last year. Can you hear the Beemaw. Glenn, we, we really want to give it to you, but we're going to hold off a year. And we would like you to twerk at the Oscars. Could you do that for us? And that'll really help sell it next year. So if you're down with that, be ready because next year could be your year. You've mentioned this a handful of times when we've been talking about Glenn Close. I mean, the movie that she's got coming out, is it later this year? She's got a couple of ones next year that could be Oscar bait. The one though that she kind of is aiming for, but she hasn't gotten the money to make it, Sunset Boulevard. The musical Sunset Boulevard. And I think... I think we're going to see her if she's going to get it. She's going to be in a supporting role at this point. They're too hot on getting young actresses the lead part, except for, of course, Frances McDormand. But, um, you know, it's Scarlett Johansson is going to be one who gets one probably before she does. Amy Adams. Amy Adams is another one of those ones that gets screwed over every time they start looking. She should have won like three or four times by now mm-hmm. because she's that good in that that um different in everything she does but it's that it's that damn olivia coleman that old olivia coleman you know she can go do voiceover work that's where she should go go get that voiceover emmy that they all seem to want or a grammy that's what you really need is a grammy the emmy is the easiest and those nominations came out this week and again here's the oddness about that if you don't mind if i just go off the edge here all of the actors in Hamilton were nominated in the limited series, miniseries, movie category, but the show wasn't nominated for best TV movie. Instead, they gave like Dolly Parton's Christmas a nomination, and then they put it in Variety Special. Now that doesn't make sense. I get what they're trying to do, but then all those actors shouldn't have been in the acting category. They should have been in Variety Performance. Yeah, the Emmys is definitely the one the most where it seems like people are just trying to juice like as many awards as they can possibly get by just like maneuvering to categories where they'll be able to do that. Well, they've got that dumb short form uh, series, whatever it is, category that you think I've never even seen or heard of these things. And it's big names. Kevin Hart, I think, is in there for something. And um, you think, really? How does this happen? (laughs) So then you can put on the resume, Emmy winner. Banners are forever. Uh-huh. So I think they, they need to cut back their categories. And I wish what they would do is switch their categories to under a half hour, under an hour, over an hour. Those are the three mm-hmm. categories you divided in. Not comedy, not drama, because some of those ones that cross over don't really, can't win. You can't win in I, some of those categories. Like The Boys, which I love is nominated for drama. That ain't gonna win drama. It's funny. <laughs> and you couldn't put it in a comedy because it's not funny enough to be a comedy. But I think if they go back, and they used to have those categories. When they first started the Emmys, they were time sensitive. So it would be under a half hour, under an hour, and uh, show dramas would compete against comedies. And that would maybe push comedies down keep them under that time frame. Right. Well, look yeah, at Mrs. Certainly. Maisel. Mrs. Maisel is like always 40, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. You think, eh, you're not really in the comedy mode. Looking ahead next week, we won't have a Fear Street to talk about, which is maybe a good thing. Um, and we're still kind of in like the summer 
I don't want to say like doldrums, but we've got a new M. Night Shyamalan movie and we've got a new G.I. Joe movie. And those are like mm. the two big ones. And now that's like, I think there's a, uh, some kind of ridiculous action sci-fi thing hitting net or, or uh, hitting Amazon called Jolt. Like a Jai Snake Courtney. Snake Eyes is in there too. What's that? Snake Eyes is next week as well. Yeah. I've never seen a G.I. Joe movie, so I might have to binge those before I go see Snake You're Eyes. You're not missing anything. No, Let me get Jungle Book on the 30th. Mm-hmm. That'll so. be interesting. You know, they've, they've kind of tweaked the ride of Jungle Book at the amusement parks, so it reflects the film a little better. So I don't know if The Rock shows up at some point, but The Jungle Book is a little more movie-centric. So that's the 30th. Yeah. So yeah, we got a, um, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely want like people to tune back in next week. We've so, got yeah. a big surprise next week. We do. <laughs> we do. Big, big surprise. So yeah, do you guys have anything to... Anything to pimp out? Uh, any, any, any logs to roll? Bruce Miller, you got the movies in a minute? Yeah, if you, please please watch because you'll get to see. I, we actually got new equipment, so it looks really cool. Um, but um, there are a lot of things coming up. I've got some, uh, there's a, a TV series called Behind the Attraction, and it's about those theme park rides. And I actually interviewed some of the um, Imagineers who work on the rides, and they talk about, what it's all about. That actually it premieres next week. And I think we'll have the video out next week sometime too. So you'll get to see me talking with um, Imagineers about the Dis- the world of Disney. Oh, That's kind of fascinating. And I just nice. want to say, can I congratulate, if you guys have not seen Bo Burnham's Inside, please, please, please watch it. It got six Emmy nominations and everyone went to Bo because he did everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just unbelievable. So there's my shameless plug. Jared? Uh, go see Pig. I'm getting paid to say this. <laughs> Are you going to then go to a barbecue afterwards? No, I couldn't do that after seeing that. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, I don't have anything to, to push. So so that's it for me. Fantastic. Well, well thank you guys so much. We got, uh, I don't know, I've been throwing it to Jared lately. Bruce? Well, I want to take a I, shot I, at our. Uh, but I don't know that I can see pig, so I have to just say I hope you see something good this week. Everybody should see something good. Bruce might see something good if he sees pig. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll be back next week. And happy awesome. birthday, Jared! Happy. Thank birthday. you, Kylie. So that is the end of the episode. Next week, we've got a new G.I. Joe movie and a new M. Night Shyamalan to look forward to. So make sure that you are subscribed. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared. and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening.